Hi, this is the Inside Alberta podcast. This is our last one before the new year, and we're going to try and keep it cheery, aren't we, Chris? We're trying to laugh through our pain. This is Chris <laughs> Varco across the table, our amazing business uh, politics columnist. And uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the feds coming to town while well, they came to Edmonton, actually, to announce uh, $1.6 billion in aid for the oil patch. Um, uh, you know, sort of a bandage on a self-inflicted wound seems to be the general uh, a general reaction to it. But is there actually anything in this that uh, is actually really helpful to people in the oil patch at this time, do you think? Um, well, crisis not averted would be the headline on this particular issue, I think. Let's give the federal government credit first off, is that they did come up with some money here to try and help some of the players in the oil patch who are enduring some difficulty right now. And basically, mm -hmm. the package consists of about $1.6 billion of supports. Uh, more than $1.5 billion uh, is coming from the Export Development Canada and the Energy uh, Diversification Areas of the, the Business Development Bank. These, this is lending, basically. Yeah. And some of that money is going to go into areas like uh, you know providing working capital and money for uh, machinery investments and things like that for companies. And then there's some smaller programs in there as well. So we'll give them some credit for that, but let's not give them too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because uh, well, it's, the issues here really are for the oil yeah. patch, or the fact that we still have too much oil being produced in this province, mm -hmm. and even though the government's going to curtail it, that oil is still you know the c productive capacity is still there, and there's not enough pipelines to get it to market, and there's not enough rail capacity to get it to market. So as you, you know, you you put it right. This is a band aid on a much bigger wound. So. Right. To pretend like this is going to make a significant difference to the distress that's going on in the oil patch right now is, is I think, wrong. You know, I, I thought some of the language was interesting. We've, we've heard the prime minister say, you know, phase out the oil sands, we can't do it tomorrow. We've heard that kind of language early on in the regime. But so he actually said, uh, the minister actually said in Edmonton, this is uh, to, uh, you know, the long-term future of the oil sands, this help for long-term development. There's some of that language from Carr right. and Sohi. You get a very different attitude. Now, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, there's so much pounding of the federal government these days, and in my view, they deserve a lot of it because they have messed up these files. They've messed up the pipeline file. They've messed this up. Their grand plan for environment has compressed us in this in this province. But that doesn't mean that they don't want to get out of it and they don't want to try and fix it. Um, it's just a question of whether, and, 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 you know, as you say, let's give them a little bit of credit for at least, at least having good intentions at this point. They do want to get the pipeline bill. We'll see about that. I'm sure they must be throwing up their hands at some point and saying, look, we've invested $4.5 billion yeah. to buy a pipeline. Mm -hmm. We invested $1.6 billion to try and help the industry. So what more can we do? But that misses the point, and the point is everything they've done to date has been reactive, reacting to a crisis rather than being yeah. proactive. And the problem is investment is fleeing because people and companies can't get fair value for their product, and that falls upon them as the federal mm -hmm. government. And as a consequence of all that, we have these increasing rallies. Uh, we had one up in uh, uh, Grand Prairie, Prairie on the weekend that drew almost 2,000 people. Well, they were expecting more. They made a kind of amateur mistake of projecting like five or 6,000, then they got two. But that's a lot of people to draw on Grand Prairie on a Sunday afternoon. And then we had the one on Monday at City Hall. And, and with these demos, uh, they are a genuine expression of real anger and fear uh, from regular folks who work in the oil patch. And that's, that's almost all of it. But you always get this guy who shows up in his Sons of Odin jacket or... <laughs> 
or some guy who boos the mayor when he tries speaking a bit of French, and it discredits it. Like it, it, these people don't think about what that can mean uh, from an image perspective for the whole movement. And it is a movement. I've n- I didn't. There was nothing like this in the early '80s. With the, I was asking some people about this the other day. Uh, when the National Energy Program came down, people were losing their houses and turning in the keys or even just walking away. Uh, there was nothing like this kind of demonstration movement then. But there's always people who want to hijack political movements oh, yeah. or other organizations yeah. with their own with their own causes, whether they're Western separatists yeah. or other. And, and you're right. Legitimate messages get obscured by extreme points of view. Yeah. And to make things uh, kind of more even more excitable and angry. We've had two uh, sort of symbolic things happen. The the uh, Premier of Quebec, Legault, said that thing about dirty oil from Alberta, said no no deal with pipelines, and, and it was just unnecessary and provocative. It just enraged people. It, it really did. And then along came our story, written by our own Ryan Rumbold, about the mayor of Whistler sending those letters saying that the company uh, Canadian Natural should help pay for climate change. And that just set the whole thing off again. And I started looking into that. You know, there have been 15 uh, different munis have sent uh, those kinds of letters to the industry, and most right. of them are most of them are on Vancouver Island. There's not that much in the mainland. The biggest city is is uh, Victoria, but you know the Whistler thing really set people here off again, and uh, we're just getting all these. In the midst of all the economic stuff, we're getting all these what seem to be provocations that are genuinely angering people. Yeah, the one in Whistler. Um, I, what I think really stands out for me is there. I think there's a sense from the oil patch that people are now trying to kick them when they're down, and, and mm-hmm. I think that's a very un-Canadian spirit that many people would push back against. And in this case, the oil patch pushed back hard. So, as you said, the mayor of Whistler and the councillor had sent out letters to 20 different oil companies, including Canadian Natural Resources in, in Canada, saying you're uh, you you know you're responsible for climate change in part, and your industry is. So we're writing to ask your company to pay a fair share of the cost of climate change being experienced in Whistler. Now, I think anybody who's been to Whistler know there's a lot of tourists who go there and they all have to get transportation to get up there somehow, whether it's by planes, trains, or automobiles, and they all have their own carbon footprint. And I think the rank hypocrisy of them demanding one company and one industry to pay its fair share I don't even know how you would calculate that. <laughs> but, I mean, the chutzpah beyond, behind that is is just unbelievable. Particularly since the mayor of Whistler also has been an owner of the shuttle service <laughs> yes. from Vancouver Airport up to, uh, up to Whistler. One might say that he's made some, you know, some of his income from the fossil yeah. fuel sector. And let's not forget that 80% of the consumption or the generation of GHGs from a barrel of oil comes from the consumption, not from the production. So just to tie a bow around this neatly, the oil patch was passing this letter around like an emblem of sort of outrage. And they began to uh, decide that they weren't going to go and... Uh, attend an energy conference in Whistler that CIBC puts on every January. They began to pull out, CIBC began to realize that these people were pulling out and they pulled the pin on the energy component of the conference. And the um, mayor of Whistler, who never actually spoke to the media, but posted uh, Mm -hmm. uh, a nice YouTube video and uh, also put out a statement, began to sort of move back from that line and say, look, we're not trying to offend anybody, but here's the point, too late. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So well, let's look ahead a bit to the pipeline next year. Next year is going to be a big year. 2018, we'll agree, has been a pretty grim year for the city and the and the province. But in 2019, it's possible that the pipeline may begin construction, even though there is lawsuits already lining up. They're already lining up lawsuits to claim that the consultation this time wasn't long enough when they don't even know how long it's going to be. 
But uh, I'm wondering, you talk to people about this all the time, Chris, and I'm just wondering if, do you think the pipeline will start construction again in 2019? I think it will, but I think that the chances of it getting started in the first half are, are slim and none, and maybe slim just left town. Uh, mm-hmm. I think at best they're going to be looking at construction probably into the into the summer, fall, maybe even the winter window, um, just depending upon you know how the timing works out. Construction doesn't just turn around quickly on a project like this. And let's not forget the pro- the project was thrown into limbo back in the summer, and there's pipe already arriving on on sites and just sort of sitting there. So there's a lot of work that's going to be required, I think, to get this project going I, again. I was kind of surprised when we spoke to the premier the other day, you, you and me, and uh, I'd heard from the PMO that they expected that they could get it going by, by June. And when I suggested that to the premier, she said, and she has got the most ardent interest in getting this thing going because she has an election probably in May, uh, she said, well, maybe not till fall. She seemed more pessimistic than I expected her to be. Anyway, maybe we can finish on... Uh, I could know. We promised some seasonal cheer here. And uh, there's one thing that happened this week that I really like, although lots of people apparently don't, given the response to the column I wrote about it, is the province extending the uh, community uh, uh, renewal level, levy rather, for um, uh, Victoria Park and the Rivers District. And, you know, we have gotten ourselves stuck behind Edmonton. There's no question. I mean, if you spend any time in Edmonton, I spent a lot of time there you can see that they've got these magnificent new facilities, not just Rogers Place, but museum, art gallery, theaters, all over the place. Grant McEwen College expanding downtown. They've rescued their north downtown from from dire social conditions with smart investments. So what about us? Well, we've kind of got stuck. The new library is magnificent. We know that. The Bell Studio, Studio Bell is great. But apart from some really good development in the East Village, especially down by the river, there's not much been happening north up toward the stampede. Now, this is going to enable uh, this new move by the Fed, the province rather, which is rather technical, but the import is that it'll start attracting private investment well into the 2000s for things like the uh, convention center and also the hockey rink. The hockey rink is part of the city's plan. Uh, You know, you can take the politicians and shake them, and they won't try to connect the hockey rink to anything that's happening. But, you know, Canada uh, municipal lands people who run this stuff, they say, yeah, it's all part of the same vision. The flames have provided schematics. So that's moving along, uh, but you don't hear that from the politicians because they're really trying to control the uh, inevitable uproar. But I think in, in 2019, I think we're going to see um, an, uh, the convention center, one of the biggest in North America, building, and you could even see a solid deal on the arena by the end of 2019. What do you think of that? Is that good news? I think that would be some good psychological news for this city, which has really been lacking it since the decision on Trans Mountain in, in the summer. And I think, on my perspective, I'd love to see uh, you know some good news on oil prices. We saw them crash down below $47, near the low 46 on uh, on Tuesday. And I let's hope we can see crude prices move up a bit, but also getting some movement on the Trans Mountain Pipeline in 2019 would be some good news. Well, best of the season to you and to everybody, and uh, we'll be back uh, first week of the new year, we hope, with another podcast. Happy holidays. Happy holiday to you.